This is Canucks Corner, and this is Aaron Lane telling you about as much about the Canucks as I can, being that it's offseason, but taking a look at the second round of the playoffs. Not only what my predictions were, what actually happened, and what my predictions are going to be for next round. The pregame show. This is the part of the podcast in which I give you some Canucks news, and then let you know what my predictions were in that first round of the playoffs and set you up for letting you know what actually happened in the playoffs in the second round. So, let's take a look at some Canucks news, shall we? There was, unfortunately, some pretty big news. First off, let's begin a little bit deep in the news cycle where the Canucks signed some couple players. They signed Darlene, which they uh, who they got in the Burroughs trade. They signed him to a three-year contract, and they eventually signed Padan to a one-year two-way contract. And yeah, I mean, Padan has really kind of fizzled a bit, but uh, which is why, of course, it's a two-way contract, so that they're willing to send him down uh, when they need to, if if they need to. But if he can prove that he can finally make it stick here and do what he needs to do to be a successful D-man on the Canucks, then, yeah, there he is. We've got him for another year. Now, as opposed to that, nothing much happened. We signed a head coach. <laughs> I don't remember whether or not I covered this before, but I honestly don't have a whole lot to say. Uh, the Canucks signed Travis Green, and honestly, I'm happy with that. A lot of people were critical or were worried or whatever. And I'm like, well, listen, we're in rebuilding. We All we really need from our coach is a guy who knows young players and can develop young talent. Travis Green knows a lot of these players. He helped develop them in Utica. And now he's up here developing them in the NHL. It's just like a lot of people want it. So... I say all we can do is sit back and watch and see what happens. There is there is a metric I think we have to use here, and I'll be talking about that on another pod, but I think people are freaking out about the fact that they don't know how to evaluate Travis Green now. They're thinking, oh, but he will, won't get the wins, but then he doesn't need to get the wins, but then what does he need to do? And then how can we tell whether or not he's good? And that's a really low bar. And no, it's not. It's it's a different bar. And I'm going to get into more of that later, but the crux of the biscuit's this. He's here to develop players. We have to create a metric to see whether or not he's developing those players. As long as he is, no matter what the points the team gets is, the team could get, you know, 50 points, the team could get 110 points, that's not going to determine whether or not he's a good coach for the Canucks right now. I mean, 110 points, maybe, but... <laughs> no, realistically, it's it will come down to how he's developing the players and whether or not he's getting the most out of that development. And I think we can't look at points then. We have to look at these players individually. We have to take a look at them in the preseason, see where they're at, and then see where they are along the way as the year progresses. And if we can put some numbers to that or some sort of grading system to that, we can assess that in certain ways, as we would say in the 
in the education field that this assessment doesn't all have to be about oh how many points did they score and 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 how many how many game-winning goals did they have and how much did they contribute to the Canucks success yeah that's what you do normally when you have a team that's shooting for the playoffs that's shooting for competing in the playoffs but when you're not when you're developing a team and its talent you got to look at it differently and I'll talk about that later but that's where I am with Green I'm happy with his signing and I think he has a chance of doing the job he needs to do. So there we go. That said, the lottery. I was tempted to do this podcast, do a special lottery podcast in result in response to seeing what happened. This was another one of these moments I wanted to punch something. I very nearly did. If it wasn't for the fact that I was holding my iPhone watching it live and realizing that it was my iPhone and I didn't want to break it, I didn't want to chuck it across the room. <laughs> Yeah, it angered me, and it angered me as it can only anger a Canucks fan that's been a fan since, like, 1978, uh, which is pretty much my situation. I cannot tell you how many times the Canucks have got the short end of a stick, and yet, uh, last year, another short end, and that sucked. I was so hoping that maybe, somehow, we'd get we'd get lane, but that wasn't going to happen anyway, but still... If we had that third pick. Well, that's not true. I mean, if... But, anyway. I don't even think about that. The point is, coming into this draft, we earned that second draft pick. We earned that spot. Because, yeah, I mean, I don't think... I don't think we tanked. I enjoyed the fact, near the end, that we lost those few games, especially that one against Phoenix. Because I knew that was going to get us in better position. But outside of those plays that I said that kind of looked at during that game like it could have you know gone the other way honestly we were a crappy team and we were quite honestly the second crappiest team in the league last year so we need help (laughs) we've we've got a lot of good young developing players there's no doubt about that but we don't have any young superstars on the horizon Bo Horvat is probably our best young player and I don't see him scoring 100 points I don't see him lifting the other players around him to be better. I don't see him being that Sidney Crosby, that Connor McDavid, that Jonathan Taves sort of star player. I see him being really good, and I see him being really solid. 80 points, maybe 90 points, you know, top end. I'd love to see him hit 100. Like, I'd love to see him be a superstar, but this is what this is what I figure is most likely. And with the other guys, I, I, we've got good players, but I don't think we have... We don't have a perfect set of defensemen. We don't have a perfect set of goaltenders. We don't have a perfect set of forwards. It's not like Edmonton, you could see it coming together. And when McDavid hit there, you were like, wow, okay, now they really have a good, solid set. With Toronto when they got rid of their crazy high-ass salary stupid signings and then those young guys came in last year and you looked at their team and went wow yeah they, they've got a lot of good talent they can really compete not the Canucks right now the Canucks aren't there give them a few years of getting good young players that are ready to play in, in the NHL and give them a superstar first or second draft pick. 
That's all we're shooting for, man. That's all we wanted. You get superstar and then star level underneath that. And this year wasn't going to be a superstar, but maybe it could have been a star. Maybe those one of those top two guys could have been a star. We'll get a good player. We're going to get a solid second liner who may end up playing on the first line because we don't have got anyone else to play there. But I don't believe the, the guy we're going to pick is going to be a superstar or even necessarily a star because I don't believe those picks look like that at this point. So that's what we get. We, we get this stupid draft system where the NHL goes, oh, you know what, since Edmonton got really good picks over a number of years, one after another in a row because they suck so bad, you know what, we're going to screw it for everyone else and no one else is going to get a chance to ever really come back from the ashes and build a really solid team through the draft anymore. You're just going to have to get super lucky. And meanwhile, other teams like Philadelphia, like Dallas, like New Jersey, who are pretty good teams, are like, oh, okay, we're going to add a star. A star that should have gone to a developing team that needed that star just to get off the ground a bit. Oh, man, I'm angry. (laughs) I'm sorry, but... The Canucks deserve some a fair shake. And this this wasn't it. And it's upsetting. So everybody in the Canucks organization, including Lyndon and Travis Green and everybody said, you know, look, we're gonna make the best of it. Benning said, We're just going to we're gonna get a good player, we're gonna get a solid player, you know, into our lineup, and that player's gonna help us on from here. And that's the silver lining you have to put around it, and that's the only silver lining you can. That yeah, you're gonna have a solid player. And you know you develop that player right, and it and it'll be good. But if you come second last, you shouldn't just get good. You should get really good, and maybe great. What this is going to do, if they don't change it, what this is going to do is it's going to cause it's going to cause parity to leave the NHL. Like right now, they've been so happy because they got parity. They got parity. They got parity. It's great. It's great. It's great. Any team can beat any other team. But what we're going to have here is we're going to have luck based cellar dwellers where teams will like the 1980s the Hartford Whalers they're gonna spend a decade in the cellar just sitting there hoping that something comes out for them and it won't and they'll just suck you know for 10 15 20 years maybe because they can't get they'll finish last a dozen times in those years or second last and they won't get those those top superstar draft picks because the system is just randomly going to give them to some other team who doesn't need them as badly. And I just pray that that's not going to be the Canucks. But the way things have gone in the Canucks history, there there's a reason we haven't won the Stanley Cup. And part of that reason is luck. Part of that reason is we just haven't got lucky when we needed to. And part of that luck is draft picks. So there you go. Unlucky again. Sorry, guys. But that's how I feel. All right. Outside of that, uh, other Canucks news, Alexander Edler is uh, playing in the World Championships and crushing people. That's nice. There's some nice uh, video there of him laying down some good hits. Uh, Markstrom is has posted he's skating again and the knee is healing up great. So he's looking forward to next season. That's wonderful. Markstrom is going to be a goaltender we're going to be leaning on for a while. As I think that it's Miller's last year, next year one way or the other, so... There we go. And yeah, that's that's Canucks news right now. So onwards to the playoffs. Round two. Well, actually round one. Because I'm going to review just kind of what I thought the key elements were 
in these situations. So, in the Pittsburgh-Washington series, I said that Crosby wasn't necessarily going to be the answer. The overall team of Pittsburgh, that you know, the other players that they had, and their goaltender flurry would make the big difference, and Washington's defense would prove to be porous and ultimately not strong enough to withstand the entire Penguins push, and it would be close, but in the end, Pittsburgh would overtake Washington. With Ottawa and New York, I basically said, Ottawa has this one by a flip of a coin that New York has such great team defense and Ottawa is just going to have to push through and they're going to have to work harder than New York and and find ways of getting through that team defense. It was going to be a low-scoring series with a lot of close games and that's, that's what I figured, but Ottawa would take it in the end. Nashville and St. Louis. I gave this one to St. Louis but said, hey, if Nashville wins, that's not going to be a surprise at all. I think they're really two very close teams, and it would probably come down to special teams really making making the difference here. But otherwise, we had two really solid teams all the way through. So, yeah, it, would, it could go either way, but I was shooting for St. Louis there. Edmonton and Anaheim. This one I was giving to Edmonton in another close series. I thought Anaheim was just a bit too old. I thought their players weren't challenged enough in the previous series and now they would be challenged and they wouldn't be able to hold up all the way through. And their goalie, John Gibson, would ultimately show cracks as well against a much quicker and more talented Edmonton team. But then I thought, well, Kessler on McDavid, that might make a, you know, a difference in the in the game, in the games, in the series. And Anaheim's dirty tricks and dirty play may come to maybe allow Anaheim to win, but definitely make it very close. But in the end, I thought Edmonton would win. So there you go. Those were my predictions. So let's see how all of that managed to come out. Game time. This is a part of the podcast where I get to tell you how my predictions went, what actually happened in round two, and how I was actually right in my predictions, even when I was wrong. (laughs) All right, so we have Pittsburgh and Washington. Let's start with them. Now, this went just about as I thought it would. It was a close series, and Pittsburgh did in fact win, which surprised some people because they thought this would be Ovechkin's year, and the Capitals had home ice advantage, and the whole thing looked pretty good for them. And especially when Crosby went down, there was, I believe it was game three, maybe game four, Niskanen, uh, I hope that's who it was. Well, actually, it was Ovechkin first slashes Crosby as Crosby goes towards the Washington net and hurts him hard and sends Crosby falling. And as Crosby starts falling, Niskanen comes in and cross-checks him in the side of the head. Now, Niskanen used to be a penguin. He, you know, was part of the crew, and there's probably no way in the world that he wanted to hurt Crosby right there. And his his stick was low. The only reason it hit Crosby in the head was because Crosby's head fell down to that level as he was crossing the front of the net and as Niskanen was coming in to take him out of the play. So pretty much 
everybody at the end of that really felt, well, terrible situation. What Ovechkin did really was much worse because he really laid some lumber on, slashed um, Crosby hard and really meant it. Whereas Niskanen here is like, I'm just trying to, you know, knock him out of the way so he's not going to score. And he just fell down in front of me and my stick hit him in the head. So, yeah, no, I don't believe it was malicious. It was just unfortunate. And as a result, it changed the series. Whenever you lose your top player, even if he is not dominating the series, it's always a distraction and it's always something in the back of your mind where you're thinking, okay, if we get down, Crosby's not there to help us back up again. And even though Crosby came back after the next game, he wasn't necessarily 100%. And they said, the doctor said, oh, we didn't find anything wrong with him, really. And it's up to Crosby if he if he wants to go ahead and play. And I... Uh, I don't want to ever be proven wrong there. I don't want to ever I don't want to ever look at that and say no. A guy with a history of concussions getting hit in the head like that again. I don't I don't care anymore about the Stanley Cup. I care about this man's health and his family's need of his health to be good for the rest of his life. So that's that's what I worry about in those situations. And so when I see Crosby get hit like that, I feel it's a terrible situation in the game. But then you take a step back and you go, okay, is it is it really worth it for him and his family and the people who care about him to go and put his life out on the line and play again right away? Just step <laughs> leaving one game. I mean, people know about concussions by now. That's irrelevant. If he's got a concussion, if he's got damage to his brain, then taking a rest for one game is going to make no difference. And if he's coming back to play and he's going to get hit again, and he was, he was hit again that next game and the game following hard. He went into the boards head first pretty much at one point. And man, I just, I can't, I don't want to see that moment. I don't want to see that moment that seems like it's inevitable to happen where that superstar player, whether it's Crosby or somebody else comes back after clearly having a concussion, especially with a history of concussions and then all of a sudden, he's done. He never plays again, and he's n- and worse, he's never healthy ever again. And Eric Lindros can tell you about that. And a lot of hockey players can tell you about that. Football players can tell you about that. It's, it's not worth it. It's not worth destroying your life over. And I know some people would disagree with me, but that's, that, that's my own personal thing. I think, yeah, you say you live and die for hockey, but what, what you really mean is that, what you should really mean by that is within the realms of normal play. I will do my best and I'll make hockey my first priority. Not, I will literally be okay with dying or being damaged for the rest of my life so that I can't have a normal life. So that, you know, I have a chance to win a Stanley Cup. That for me doesn't gel. I don't, uh, that doesn't work for me. And at a Stanley Cup, Super Bowl, whatever, whatever accolade that you would get by putting your life and your health on the line, to me, that that value equation doesn't work. Because in the end, you're not that trophy. You're a human being that has relationships with people that care about you. And if you can't operate correctly with those relationships because of that, you know, to me, that's just, it's just not worth it. So there you go. That's, that's my, that's my soapbox on the whole 
the whole concussion situation. Uh, yeah, let's just take a look at the games uh, and how they went. Uh, game one, Pittsburgh won three to two, and then game two, Pittsburgh won six to two. Really showing Washington that they were going to just take it to them. Washington, of course, realized they they're going back to Pittsburgh two games down. They have to come back and have a game because if they go down three 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 zero, they're done. So. They managed to not play quite well enough to win for most of the game, but then managed to get the game to overtime where they won 3-2, to two, and they got that 2-1 to one <laughs> series situation. They're like, okay, good. But then the very next game, 3-2 to two for Pittsburgh. So Pittsburgh's up 3-1, to one, and that is, that's a tough place to be. There are plenty of teams that have come back from 3-1. 3-1 one. One in 94, the Canucks did it twice, twice in a row, I believe, against, oh, geez, now I'm stretching my brain. Against Calgary for sure, uh, Pavel Bury I think uh, scored against Mike Vernon in double overtime after the save by Kirk McLean, and I think oh it might have been the series before that. Afterwards they end up playing the Maple Leafs. I can't remember if they went down three to one there, but anyway in, the, in that in that in that year they they did it twice. So it is possible, but. And Washington gave it their best. Gave it their best. They won the next game four to two. They won the next game five to two. And it really looked to the world. It looked well. Okay, it looked to me like Pittsburgh was not dangerous. That Washington was the one that was likely to win. And sure enough, in game seven again, it, Washington just kept coming. But Pittsburgh manages to get a goal fairly early. I think in the second period. Could be wrong there, but and then this bizarre goal by Hornquist where he's just in front of the net and he just backhands it towards the net out of just hope that something would happen and it goes past Holtby and he's just standing there like Whoa, what? and that was it and it was 2-0 and Fleury played amazing uh, my notes here was that come down to the overall team and the goaltender. I don't think Malkin played as well as I thought he would. The rest of the team really did kick it in the gear, though, and did what they needed to do. Rust played really well, for example. He got the first goal tonight. Uh, and it was tonight, by the way. The uh, It is actually it is the 10th of May, and the Penguins have just knocked off Washington tonight, 2-0 two to, two to nothing in Game 7. And yeah, the... It wasn't again. It wasn't necessarily Crosby. Crosby was there. He was a part of it and everything. But it wasn't just him. Was it the bad Washington defense? Like was it the porous or leaned on Washington defense? Not necessarily either. I I might have been wrong there in that. Again, I didn't watch all these games. I probably watched about five of them. Most of them anyway of, of five. And from what I could tell, they played a pretty solid set of games. I didn't see anything necessarily that was really poor like defensive breakdown after defensive breakdown or anything so yeah I may have been wrong there but in the end it was a team game by Pittsburgh that ended up pulling it together and I think a team game by a team who knows how to win and knows what it takes to win compared to a team who knows what it takes to choke and sometimes in sports you say that 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 just can't be there, there can't be that sort of mentality that results in actual results but I think there is. I think winning teams win and choking teams choke sometimes. Now, obviously, there are situations in which that doesn't happen, but there's definitely situations in which that occurs. Like, losing teams get nervous. Choking teams remember choking, and they remember what it's like, and now they start picking out moments of the play where it's like, oh, that's happening again, and then it becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Whereas the same thing with your, if you're a confident winning team. 
your goal down and instead of freaking out about it you go oh that's okay i remember the last year we played when we won and we just pushed and pushed and pushed until the team couldn't take it anymore and then we scored and then we went to overtime we won and that's what we do what we'll do again and that's what they do right so i think that works works that way but there you go pittsburgh and washington i got one right yay not necessarily for the right reasons but i got it right i'm taking it ottawa new york also got this one right did pick ottawa but this this went completely different from where I thought this was going to go. This series I thought would be a tight series all the way around. It started that way, a 2-1 to one Ottawa win, and then a 6-5 to five Ottawa win in double overtime. So tight one-goal series, but that 6-5 to five game was a lot, of sco- lot of scoring. It was a lot of goals. I didn't expect them to score that many goals. And then New York goes ahead and knocks me out of the park by winning two games back-to-back 4-1. to one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just, I didn't think Ottawa would be that porous. And at that point, even though it was 2-2, I thought Ottawa's been shown that they can only win the tight games and New York can pour it on and open up the game and end up winning by lots. Oh, darn it. It looks like Ottawa's going to lose. So to be honest, at that point, I thought I was doomed and Ottawa was on their way out. But again, Ottawa tightens it up, at least tightens the score up. Again, tightens it up 5-4, to four, wins in overtime. But again, that's a lot of goals. Lundqvist looked human. He looked really... He looked like I expected him to look in the first series against Montreal. But he held it together in the first series and in a lot of ways outplayed Price. In this series, he really fell back to some of the things that were hurting him during the season. Like Carlson had this shot from behind the goal line in the corner and bounced it off of Lundqvist's back and into the net as he was hunched over, you know, in his waiting position. Now, apparently this isn't the first time Carlson's done this. And he and I think he, he got inside Lundqvist's head and they got inside Lundqvist's head by scoring from different angles and basically just kicking the puck in sometimes where Lundqvist just didn't feel he could make the save when he needed to. And once you get into a, a goaltender's head like that, then you get game six, Otto wins 4-2. to And so there you go. Uh, Lundqvist and the Rangers just couldn't pull it out this time. And Ottawa wins it. Not because of figuring out their tough team defense and, and, and somehow boring into that incredibly difficult team clump that the Rangers like to use. But instead, just shooting from everywhere. Shooting from everywhere and letting Lundqvist just lose the puck. So there you go. Got another one right, but not quite in the way that I thought it would go. So uh, we now have Nashville and St. Louis. So again, I said St. Louis would win, but it'd be a toss-up. Nashville could win. I wouldn't be surprised. Nashville wins. So I'm wrong there. I, well, I was wrong because I did pick St. Louis, so I'm still wrong. But I was right, obviously, <laughs> that... And I was going to be right regardless, right? Okay? <laughs> when you when you sit on the fence, that's what happened. Anyway, I also said this would come down to power plays. And I just had a note. There was four power play goals scored by Nashville and only one by St. Louis. And in that last game, in game six, St. Louis takes four penalties. Nashville uh, takes one. And, and, and no one scores a power play goal. So Nashville wins that game, but 
so that you know so the power plays really didn't matter that much in that game but in game one there was two power play goals scored by nashville and nashville won four to three in game two where st louis wins three to two there was a power play goal in that one for st louis so yeah it in a lot of games power play makes a difference but like i said in this series that's what i was looking for and it looked to be in those couple games that happened then that was about it there was like two more power play goals that happened throughout the series but it was still it was a very close series game three was three to one for nashville game four two to one for nashville game five two to one for st louis and game six three to one for nashville so those were the numbers that i thought i would get out of the ottawa new york series and instead i get it out of these guys which is fine and i watched a few of these games and it was a pretty good series i liked watching these these teams go at it they were evenly matched a lot of the time and nashville again their their defense is like they've got suban and ellis and those two guys if the canucks had one of those guys just one then i'd be super happy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because they, they have the puck moving and puck shooting abilities where they create offense in moving the puck and they create goals by shooting the puck and it makes a huge difference. So yeah, um, there you go. Nashville on the back of great goaltending by Pecorene and great defensive offense actually gets it done against St. Louis with a little bit of power play help thrown. All right, finally, Ducks against the Oilers, which just settled up tonight, just about an hour ago, actually. And for Edmonton fans, it was sad. The Edmonton Oilers lose the seven-game series against the Anaheim Ducks. And that really hurts for a couple of reasons. Edmonton goes up in game one, five to three, takes that. Game two, two to one, takes that too. They're up two to nothing. Everything's looking rosy. And then Anaheim goes, oh, right, what happens when we're down? We just put it into gear and we push and we pull and we smash and we, you know, we hammer and we just do what we need to do and they win six to three in game three totally dominating the game in game four it all comes down to this and they get kind of lucky and score uh the overtime goal to win four to three like minute or so into the overtime if that had gone three to one at that point I think this is a different series, and Anaheim gets knocked out. But they win that game, which leads to the most, one of the strangest games in recent memory. Edmonton, in Game 5, is up 3 nothing, with just over three minutes to play in the third. Anaheim does something. My dad used to say, when the Canucks were down 3 nothing, which happened fairly often, my dad would say, now don't get discouraged. The Montreal Canadiens used to come back in the last minute of play and score three goals to win the game or to tie the game. Now, he didn't explain to me at that point that the Montreal Canadiens, the teams that he was talking about, were filled with Hall of Fame players and were likely playing against teams that they had underplayed against for the whole game until that last minute. But yeah, there's a couple situations where the Canadiens do come back and they tie the game 3-3 or win by scoring several goals in the last minute or so a minute or so but i kind of always felt that was a bit of a yeah i was a bit happy about that idea it was like oh wow maybe the canucks could do this and it filled me with hope but all those years i don't know how many times that happened it really didn't happen very often until the west coast express line with Bertuzzi and Naslin and Morrison. There was at least one season there where they start to score like crazy and they could be down four to one in the second period and third period start and we go, yeah, they're going to turn it on. And they did. And by the end of the game, it would be like seven to five. So the Anaheim Ducks do this to the Edmonton Oilers and they score three goals in the last three minutes 
two or three of them with with the empty net you know with their goaltender pulled absolutely crazy and then it, they take them into double overtime where they score the winning goal and Anaheim leads the series three to two now at this point you'd think Edmonton gives up that was absolutely ridiculous how is that ever going to happen how are they going to come back they're not forget about it the next game game six after the first period the Oilers are up five nothing <laughs> It was incredible. They finished the game seven to one, but they kept talking about how they only they they let off the gas when they were up three nothing in the previous game, and they weren't going to do that in game six. And it was like, oh wow, I guess Edmonton was in control and just gave up on it, and that's how Anaheim got back in. So they're not going to give up control now. Now they're just going to win. And so in game seven, it was. Like, oh, okay, Edmonton's just going to win. But Anaheim played one of those games in Game 7 that you have to play. It was a raunchy, nasty... Well, no, it wasn't nasty-nasty, okay? And I said they'd be dirty, but to be honest, when I was watching, there wasn't a lot of dirty play. Kessler occasionally would cross-check somebody or spear somebody or whatever, but no more, no less, more or less than what I saw in some of the other series, okay? What I really saw was deep play, where they just out-muscled, out-fought, out-worked, and went farther with things than their opponent. When their opponent would let up, Anaheim wouldn't. And in this game, that was like that. And Edmonton was... They never really, like in those last couple minutes, they did have a chance to tie it up. But in so much of the game, they just weren't in it because Anaheim wouldn't let them be. And they just, those old men just sort of took control and did what they needed to do to win, which is what I said about Anaheim. So I was really right about that, that because they are the team that focuses on do whatever it takes to win, they'll they'll win situations like this. So there we go. I was right on two of them. I was wrong on two of them. Those still technically right. So there it is. Four for four, says I, in the second round. Now let's see what happens in the third round. The postgame show. This is part of the program where I get to tell you what my predictions are for the next round of playoff hockey and anything else that I'd like to get off my chest now before the end of the program. So today we get to look at Ottawa versus Pittsburgh. Now this should be easy. This should be Pittsburgh no problem. It should probably be a sweep, maybe give Ottawa that one lucky game. And you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and call it that way. Even though with Crosby potentially still injured, I think Ottawa still is that team that feels that they're kind of lucky enough just to be in this position and that Pittsburgh knows this is another opportunity to go ahead and hoist that cup again and maybe for the last time for most of those players. So they're going to do what they know they need to do. They're going to do what they did last year where they knew that they just had to play all the way to get the job done. And so they will. Flurry will continue to be awesome and the goals that went in against Lundqvist will not go on against Flurry. And Ottawa will find themselves behind the eight ball far often than not and if they get into penalty trouble against Pittsburgh Pittsburgh will make them pay so yeah I don't really see any chance for Ottawa outside of a pure Cinderella sort of situation but yeah I'm giving this one to Pittsburgh I'm gonna say it's gonna be four or five games and that there'll be a couple of games in there that are five to one or four to one or that sort of thing where they clearly have the game in hand so that just leaves us with 
Anaheim and Nashville. Can the old men of Anaheim do it again? Mm, no. I'm gonna call it here for Anaheim. I know this maybe gets laughs last, maybe what he thinks is his last kick at the can. Ryan's, not Ryan, Perry's last kick at the can. These older players might be thinking, okay, we have to give it all because if we don't, we're not gonna get another shot. And that might win a couple of games for them. I mean, Getzlaff in that last series scored four points in one game, pretty much took it over himself and said, we're gonna win. But I don't see that in this one because they're playing a team now in Nashville that is a full solid team from goaltender out. And again, they may not have the flashy forwards and, you know, the big scoring offense, forward offense there, but they're solid. And they're not a team that's small either. They're, Anaheim's not going to be able to push them around. And in the end, Anaheim's going to go down. I, I'm still going to give it on the five or six games range, probably six. And Anaheim's going to squeak out a couple of games there, but I think Nashville's going to have more control over this series than Edmonton had over the last one. That they're just going to go ahead and keep pushing until they've sent those old men back to the golf course. (laughs) That's about it. And I think that's the way that's going to go. Now, I could be wrong, but I'm not hedging my bet this time on either of these. I'm going to allow myself to be wrong if necessary. I think Pittsburgh and Nashville is going to be the Stanley Cup Finals this year. And between those two, I don't know, man. It's I'm not going to say because I'll wait for my next podcast to go ahead and say that. But I think that that we're still going to see some really good hockey, and it's going to be really interesting and tight hockey for the most part, even if, in the end, Nashville's going to control most of the flow of the play, and they're never really going to be up against it like the Oilers found themselves. So that's what I think. And aside from that, I'm just happy to be watching hockey again and seeing some great playoff hockey and not have to worry about my Canucks and how they're doing and whether or not they'll even break in my heart and all this stuff. It's, it's, I've got that lovely detached feeling where I'm just enjoying watching the Penguins win and my son and it's going, okay, all right, things are going all right. And I'm happy enough with that, but I'd love to see the Canucks in the playoffs. I'd love to be in that situation again where it's, they're breaking my heart and driving me crazy, make me bite my nails. Because honestly, in the end, I still, more than anything out of regular sports stuff in my life, the more than anything, I want to see the Canucks win the Stanley Cup at some point. So don't get me wrong. I'm I'm still Canucks through and through. But every once in a while, it's nice to just kind of relax a little and just watch some hockey when teams, talented teams, are trying their best. So there you go. That's what I got for you this, this time around. And until next time. This is Aaron Lane for the Canucks Corner Podcast. If you'd like to find me, I'm at Canucks underscore corner on Twitter. That's at Canucks underscore corner. On Twitter, or email me at CanucksCornerPod at gmail.com. That's CanucksCornerPod, all one word, at gmail.com. And until we pod again, thanks for listening, and keep your stick on the ice.